Welcome to the Innovative Mindset with your host, Harrison Kelly. The Innovative Mindset was created to give easy access to people with innovative stories and livelihoods that can teach valuable lessons to everybody. Today on episode six, we have Jake Bajorseth. At age 18, Jake created Transcenters Media, a digital marketing agency focused on Gen Z marketing. And by 19, he dropped out of school to pursue his business full time. Now he's got a team of young, hungry adults helping brands across industries with their scaling. Today on the podcast, he and Harrison share some of the lessons they've learned along the way on their entrepreneurial journeys as Gen Zers. Please enjoy this episode with Jake Bajorseth. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Happy to bring you another episode of The Innovative Mindset. Today, we got a very special guest, Jake Bjorseth of Trendsetters Media. Jake, how you doing, buddy? Fantastic. Can't complain. More opportunities and uh, world's changing, but that's all right. Yeah, the world is definitely changing, but good time to innovate and uh, pioneer, which we're at the forefront of with digital marketing. So I'm going to let Jake share his story, but to, to put things quickly... Jake is about two and a half years into starting his first business, which he started when he was, I think, 18, right? Yeah. So it's grown pretty exponentially over those two years. And he has kind of a very specific focus on on Gen Z marketing, which is something I'm incredibly interested in learning more about. So Jake, Mm -hmm. you want to give me a quick introduction to yourself and how you got into launching your own business at such a young age? Yeah, certainly. So right now, um, the founder and CEO here at Trendsetters Media, and really what we do is we help brands connect with and understand and ultimately reach Generation Z, which is the generational cohort right now between the age of 13 and 25, uh, 12 and 24, if you look at it from, yeah, depends on what data set you're looking at. Uh, But regardless, what I saw in the market back in really when I was 17 years old, is I, I started a Snapchat profile, got a ton of followers of me and my friends just doing stupid stuff and started working, working with local, local like apparel shops and restaurants and all of the above kind of cross promoting. So I really got introduced to the marketing scene and I was confused. I was like, wait, you're gonna pay me $300 to post something on the social media to get people in your business. Well, I guess that makes sense so I kind of started learning more, learning about the agency space. And I'll never forget, I found myself on a call with um, some executives in the marketing team at Noodles and & Company. Um, and so very well-known established brand and company. And they were asking me all these questions about young people, about Snapchat, about Instagram, about all the new platforms of that time. And immediately once I finished that conversation, I realized, you know, there's got to be an opportunity in the market here because... Our generation, we are using technologies like they've never been used before and we're engaging them and we're purchasing products, services, and uh, aligning with brands through those platforms. Yet the majority of uh, those that are in executive roles just simply aren't in that demographic. And so I saw that as an opportunity for us to enter the market and pair businesses and brands uh, with expertise of young people Um, And then us kind of leverage our insights we have with our own community to better equip them with both marketing strategies and also executions where we know what's trending. We know what's popular. We know the right message to hit with young people. So it's better for us to just go ahead and concept produce and execute on that. And that's how we started. And that's how we continue to kind of exist today. 
Very fascinating. I, I was very similar in my mindset in college. I was involved in, in the launch of a couple different startups and I was the president of the entrepreneurship club. So I, I totally see I'm in a very similar mindset in the sense that I'm just kind of naturally trying to identify problems and figuring out how to alleviate those problems and make them better and hopefully make some money along the way. So super yeah. exciting. And I believe I read that you were in college originally and, mm -hmm. and tried to do both school and college or school and work hand in hand. When did it get to a point where you realized college isn't really for me? I think it's time to pursue this full time. Yeah, great question. So I went into college with a background in entrepreneurship, but not to the extent that it is today, nor that I really have like a full perception of. So nonetheless, I decided to go. I said, you know, worst case scenario, I end up leaving, uh, which of course I did end up, end up, end up doing. And so uh, really what happened was that that first week in classes, I was a part of the business leadership program, which they only let 40 students in from the entire uh, school. And so it's really unique, it's supposed to be prestigious. And I go there the first day and everyone's talking about their lofty goals and aspirations and we're setting those and designing them. And then we're reverse engineering them into like how we're gonna get there. And the lack of, I would say, aspiration or motivation or some of these other like key factors or just like even self-awareness in the room was just simply not there. And I saw that as a problem because how am I supposed to be surrounded by peers that don't think nor envision the world like me yet I, I'm supposed to leverage this community to get where I want to go. And so I started thinking about it more and more and, and, and who do I want to take advice from? And the advice I was getting from my mentors in the entrepreneurship realm and those I looked up to whether at a celebrity type level or even just like a direct mentor level versus, you know, family, family's friends, uh, school professors, whatever, the people that were giving me advice about how to go about what I was doing and going the traditional route were the people in jobs that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to go ever strive to become a CPA one day uh, or, you know, be a, be a lawyer for 50 years or some crazy shit. Like I wanted to go a different route. And so I figured I should probably follow the guidance of those that were, that were in that realm. And so pretty much within my first week on campus, I decided it wasn't going to be for me, but I didn't want to give up on it. I didn't want to quit. So what I did instead was really leverage that community, that network to start building my business there. When I had security, when I had a little bit more time on my hands, when I didn't have to, you know, drive a ton of revenue just to meet ends, make ends meet. And so as I was at, college for that first year, I was also building up trendsetters. And actually one thing I did really unique, I stacked all of my classes on Tuesday and Thursday from like 8 a.m. to like 6 p.m. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would drive 45 minutes back into Kansas City, meetings all day. Then the next day, go to those classes, pretty much do the homework like five minutes before, go through those classes, then pretty much like into class two, I'm still like, you know, typing emails on my phone or my laptop or whatever. So I was kind of simultaneously doing those. And then pretty much, you know, right after that second semester finished, I wrote a check for an office space. And that was pretty much the last money I had in my bank account at the time. Wrote a check for an office space in downtown Kansas City. And I was like, all right, I'm doing this. I'm dropping out. And I didn't really tell anyone I was doing that when, when I did that. But I knew what I did. And within about a month and a half, we were just at a point where it would be financially ridiculous for me to go back to school. For, for what I'd be missing out on. So it just made made economic and uh, personal 
um, sense at that point. I completely get that. And it's, it's honestly funny how much our values align because I was in a very similar position. I started at a very small uh, college out in rural Pennsylvania because I wanted to run cross country. And the thing that was so frustrating to me is that I was always very hungry. My parents are both self-employed, so they really instilled those values in me. And I felt like the people that I was surrounded by were just guys that wanted to play football or lacrosse in college and pretty much were like, oh, well, I guess I'll be a business major because like, why not? But the distinction between a business major that's like really hungry to get after it versus one that's just kind of like, I'll just get into it because it's pretty simple and I won't have to study as hard. It's it's day and night. So instead of dropping out, I opted to switch to a school, uh, the College of New Jersey, which is a relatively unheard of school, but but really pushes entrepreneurial values within the education. So I made the switch and it was honestly astonishing to me the difference in values that they had. It's like you said, I think I think that assist, the distinction between someone that's somewhat entrepreneurial like yourself and myself is that uh, we're long term focused. Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of people, particularly young people, but people of all ages kind of get caught up in, all right, what am I doing this weekend? What's going on? Where am I going to get my first job out of school? They're thinking three weeks down the line, not 10 years down the line. So I wanted to align myself with people that were more so in that realm. And it sounds like you did. Definitely. And and it's one of those things too, when, where you're looking so short term, um, and I, there's this notion of like live in the moment, which I really understand, but I don't know if people fully understand that principle because live in the moment's really supposed to be more about like this second, uh, particularly from the meditational standpoint, this like breath, like breath in, breath out, and that's it. Uh, but I think a lot of people live in the moment and they then don't ever think about anything beyond there. And so they, you know, and then they wake up 10, 20, 30 years later and they wonder where the hell they are well, you didn't look at your map of where you're driving. You just want, you, you just decided, should I take a left turn, a right turn, or go straight at every single stop sign you went to? And so when you're not GPSing it and when you're not figuring out where you want to actually go, you're never going to end up in the right area. And to think you are is one of the most naive things that, unfortunately, a lot of people our age fall into, this notion of like, you know, well, what do I have to worry about really? You know, I got my, I'm on my parents' book until I graduate, and then I got to go get an entry-level job. And then this and then this, but you know, that's, that's kind of about it. And it's no, you got to understand the decisions you make today are going to impact you so many years down the line. And so if, if, if you want to get to where you want to go, that that's a process that starts today and that starts right now. And it's not one of the things where you can just put off. Definitely not. And I think, I think setting that long-term goal makes it a lot easier to kind of, like you were saying, steer in the right direction in the short term. But if you have no idea where you're going to be at two years from now, it's pretty tough to think, all right, well, how am I going to make myself successful today? So it's really, I think it's thinking long-term first and sort of backtracking somewhat. So (laughs) definitely it sounds like that's the gist of what I'm getting at trendsetters. And before we hopped on the podcast, you were telling me that it's grown pretty exponentially mm-hmm. over the last two yep. years. I would like to hear, how are you able to land clients and how did you overcome the struggle of some like older people saying, oh, you're just a kid. You're not cut out for taking on this extensive of a project or something like that. Because I've heard it and I'm sure you have. Of course, too. and I still do. And I always will. Um, the solution to 
landing clients, first off, it helps to have a badass team around you. Uh, I, I see a lot of young people in particular um, that, that, that love this passive income or this like solo entrepreneur thing, or they see people like, like a Gary Vee or, or, or like a Tylo, like they see all these, these figures and talking heads and think that's, that's what they do. What they don't realize is there are teams behind that. And those teams aren't made of your idiot friends or a bunch of fucking interns you hire uh, for free out of high school. Like, well, those teams are rigid, really great at what they do. Teams, structured, organized, oriented, operationally. Like, so that's what I would say would be step one. You have to build an actual team around it because to think you're the best at everything, it's just flat out foolish. And then you're going to have to focus on your weaknesses. So I'd start there. Then the second thing I'd say when it comes to signing clientele that is going to ask those questions about age, about experience, about things of that nature, is you got to flip it on its head. So the reason why we are a Gen Z based agency is because what are we the best in the world at? What can we be the best in the world at? That's what I ask our team consistently. What can we be the best in the world at? Is it TikTok? Is it social media? Is it paid ads? Is it creative shit? It's none of those. Right now, it's none of those. What is it? It's understanding and connecting with Generation Z because we live in that generation and no one's going to beat us at our own game because we are ridiculously dedicated to it more than anyone on this planet. And so when I go out and tell people we're the best Gen Z agency in the world, I'm not saying that just because I don't think there's a, a, any other agencies to talk to or because, I, because we happen to be an agency that's good and we are comprised of Gen Z. I'm saying that because I know for a fact if you are a brand and you want to advertise and market to Generation Z, we are the go-to agency for that. And outside of that, if you want to work with us for SEO, for website, for, you know, for, you know, even Instagram, even TikTok, we do all those things. But if your goal is not reaching Generation Z, we're not the best at it. So I would advise don't work with us. And so you got to understand when to say no. You also got to understand what can you be the best in the world at? Because it's one of those things where take basketball, for example, when Kobe Bryant entered the league, he was like 18, 19 years old. Well, they didn't make him wait 10 years before he could start playing because he was the best at it. But he didn't play basketball, soccer, football, all the fucking sports and try to play them all when he was young. He just played basketball and that's all he did. And so that's a perfect example of you need to figure out what can you be the best in the world at and start doing that now. Because let me tell you firsthand, age does not matter at the top. It doesn't matter. No one cares. No one's worried about it. The only people that are going to devalue you for your age that's really just a sugar-coated excuse that sounds nicer than you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And let me tell you also firsthand, you don't want to hear that because, you know, so it's one of those things where if you're really the best at it, then age is not even going to be a factor. I mean, I go on these calls. I'm never asked about my college or college degree or background, anything I've studied, any of my education. I'm not even asked about, I mean, sometimes they don't even ask for case studies or for some of the clients we've worked with, of which we have worked with some incredibly uh, large and well-known clients. Um, they just, they just go right into it because when it's right, it's right. And, and they can feel that they can smell that they can taste that. So that's what I'd say. It's just have an awesome team. And then number two, be the best in the world at one thing, because then it will, won't really matter. Most definitely. Again, yeah, I've had very similar circumstances. I'm doing I'm doing SEO marketing myself, but it was interesting because my bro my boss brought me in kind of on a whim. It's a crazy story how we met, uh, and he had me doing some of the technical SEO stuff, 
but really I just kind of naturally fell into the content side of things. So for me, I'm able to analyze the data and it's cool because it's, it's such a combo of the analytical looking at like monthly search volume and important data and then bringing the creativity side of things into it because I've had Twitter since I was, since I was 12 years old. So I have a good idea of what's exactly like you were saying, because I've lived it out myself and social media is almost like second nature to me, taking that SEO background and applying it to the social media came so naturally. So it's huge. Uh, That was one big thing that I would definitely say, just honing in on what you're good at and then thriving at it and figuring out where to distribute elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing I would say that you're very well-spoken and I'm in a similar position where I've always been somewhat a natural conversationalist. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really helpful tool at helping people to disregard the age thing. It's like last night I got off a call. My boss, we're talking about, we're talking about international politics for like an hour, just like shooting the shit. And it's just like, just because I'm a young guy doesn't mean that I can't have these high level conversations. And because we've taken that time to get into the mindset that we need to be in, it kind of, it elevates you and it takes you to a point where you don't need to be as caught up in the, Oh, I shouldn't start a podcast. I'm only 22. Like, what do I know? there's no reason that that should stop anybody from getting after it. So again, it's, it's real refreshing to see somebody who thinks the same. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a, there's an important distinction between a conversationalist and a bullshitter, which a lot of time will get mapped and kind of looped into the one and the same. And so many think that all conversationalists are just bullshitting uh, most of the time. And they're not actually speaking the truth. When you know what you're talking about, it shouldn't matter whether you are a natural kind of conversationalist or not. You should be able to speak it. And that's something that I myself, I'm naturally very social and talkative, but on our team, we have more of those in more of those introverted and minded people who don't want to speak up all the time. And so for those people, what, what I always have to remind them of is your ability to be interested in someone else is a lot more important. And I think a lot of introverts in particular spend so much time thinking of, of how others are looking at them and what they're about to say that they're never actually uh, incorporating what, what's, they're not even deciphering what the other person is saying, nor like caring what they think because they're spending so much time looking internally. And so I see that as a super selfish thing that I always challenge kind of introverts to take a step out of, be separate and start looking at other people and, 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 and being interested in them, not just thinking of, you know, yourself and what you're about to say and how's it going to come off, just letting that flow naturally. Because I think that's something that conversationalists don't have to deal with. We, we just kind of, I mean, I'll speak whatever to, to whoever, pretty much whenever, all the time. So Definitely. And it, it one of the key things that you touched on, being a conversationalist doesn't just mean that you have to be super talkative. Yeah, yeah being able to to ask people questions and show genuine interest in what they're doing and what they're working on what quicker way to have more success if you go into your first call trying to land a sale and it's just me 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 i don't think i've ever heard of anyone ever getting a call back with that mentality but if you reach out and you inquire how's the business going where are your strengths so far this year where are your challenges that's when a sale will come because you're naturally showing interest. And at least for me, and it seems for you as well, I genuinely want to hear what they have to say, whether they're going to be my client or not. Having that inquisitive, I want to learn more about you 
kind of mentality is so huge, regardless of what you're doing, regardless of your, whether you're an entrepreneur or working a nine to five, that's how you're going to succeed and how you're going to bridge worthwhile relationships. Definitely. And what's so funny is some of my longest sales calls I'll take are ones that uh, I know pretty much within five minutes, they can't afford us or they're not an ideal client, but I'm just interested in, in what they're doing. And I want to provide advice and insight and, and learn more. So, you know, it'll end up lasting like an hour. Whereas one with like an actual qualified client will be much shorter because it just kind of has more, more, more streamlined. So it is weird how that works, but that always starts, like you said, with like being interested in the other individuals and what they have to say and, and truly caring, not from a bullshit perspective, because people can sense that, but from a true perspective of like actually caring about them, whether that's their business, whether that's them personally or any of the intricacies of the problems that they're facing. No doubt about it. And, and following up on what you said about those longer calls where it's just, you know, they're not going to be a client, but you're still enjoying the conversation. Yeah. Those are the type of people that are going to become a client two years down the line because they're going to, you're going to stick out in their mind because you were such a pleasant guy to chat with. And it was so clear that even though we might not be working together tomorrow, there's still, <laughs> there's still a rapport here and I respect what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So couldn't agree more. So, uh, Getting back to what you're doing at the agency, you said your claim to fame is just having such a quality understanding of Gen yes. Z. What do you think the key distinctions are that make our generation different to generations in the past, both positive and negative? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and, and obviously, that's a common one. I would say millennials set a lot of negative stigmas towards our generation that we kind of get looped into as well. And then I also think there's techn technological stigmas that create more problems and then also false misconceptions. For example, there's this notion that Gen Z, millennials, you know, so on, and the younger you get, people are less social because they're, they're spending less time together and this, that, and the other because they're interacting through, you know, their device. Well, that, on, on, at a surface level in a physical world that might be true of which how is that actually being tracked and how are you actually whatever that, that that's something beyond me i don't know where they're getting this data from uh probably anecdotal like like all things in this world right and and so that's that that's one the, the other thing too is well the difference is now they're connected all the time i mean i even know from my growing up i'm only 21 but w before i had a phone like when i left school i didn't see my friends and if we didn't have plans already made for that weekend, I had to call them up and, and see what was going on. But there was no real, real way of coordinating. You just call them up. Hi, Mr. Jones. Is, is, you know, Bobby around? I was curious or whatever. No, he's not. He's outside running around. Okay. Well, I'm not going to call back, you know? So it was, it was much less connected, I would say. And so there's so many false misconceptions made. And so uh, in order to understand Gen Z, you have to start there. You have to get rid of all your, uh, preconceived notions and misconceptions that exist in the market. And you have to get rid of your technological and evolutionary bias that you're naturally going to have. You're always going to think that your generation grew up living in literally hell on earth and that now kids, now they, they live on heaven on earth and everything's free and it's foo foo, it's candy, it's lollipops, whatever. You're always going to think that. And so first you have to get rid of that. Next, once we get rid of that approach, which takes quite a bit of time, uh, what we have to dive into is what is the what is the root core of Gen Z based on what they grew up with? Well, for one, they've never lived in a world uh, they, they've really only grown up in a world post 9/11. So 
they've never known uh, a world without terrorism being a consistent fear and, and a lot of the problems that come alongside that. The next was school shootings and particularly us as kindergartners going through drills to prepare for a potential school or mass shooting uh, happening at our location. That's, that's another major problem. Uh, the other thing is, and, and this is actually recent, but stress and anxiety and suicide and depression levels among young people is continuing to rise, particularly in really developed countries such as the United States. There's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. Don't wanna go into the data right now, but long story short, these are core, uh, I would say traumatic experiences that have really molded this generation thus far. And everything they stand for stems from those. For one, one of the biggest things they stand for is authenticity. They crave that from brands. They want it real, they want it honest, and they don't want a fluffed up version of it. The second, which kind of connects with authenticity, is they, they want altruism. They want you to be making a big impact and they're not going to clap when you as a billion dollar company finally do a little bit positive, it's expected. And if you expect consumers to flock to you because you gave a ton of money to charity or did something positive, then you're going into it with the wrong expectation. And so those are the two that stand out to me most, authenticity and altruism. And then there's a lot of subsets underneath that when you think about their political kind of stance where they're, they're oddly enough quite conservative, yet in today's political realm in the United States, they tend to lean a lot more left and even, even get into the radical realms of their economically, they're actually wildly frugal and, and they're starting to save money a lot sooner. They're starting side hustles, they're starting businesses, they're a lot more entrepreneurial. And unlike their millennial counterparts, they aren't just talking about the business they're gonna start, they're actually doing it. And they're doing it at younger and younger ages. Um, the Gary Vee effect. Exactly, right? And, and other incredible entrepreneurs that have really set that standard. Um, and so those are some of the, the, I would say, realms that have really, the, the events and then kind of core co concepts of Gen Z that are vital to know uh, whether you're a massive brand, what, whether you're you know, a small business, or even if you're a parent, uncle, or aunt, like these are vital things to know because you can better engage with them if you know uh, where they're coming from. Most definitely. Yeah. You brought up a lot of great points. So from there, I would say, so you've identified some of the key components of our generation. How do the authenticity and altruism tie into your marketing strategy and what outlets do you find most effective in reaching those types of people that you're trying to appeal to? Yeah, for sure. So to start with the outlets, because that, that should ultimately determine the creative we make. TikTok has obviously been a huge player thus far and, and are really no not utilizing it to the, to the level that's gonna be necessary. Instagram and YouTube, I see as kind of the number two A and two B. Um, then you get into Twitter, Snapchat, things of that platform. Um, then last, but obviously not least is like your Facebook. And then there's some platforms mixed in in between that are often forgotten. You think about then the esports community and then you think about you know, even like Pinterest and, and some of these other platforms that Gen Z will use kind of uniquely. Um, so those are kind of your core. When you think about deploying uh, authenticity and altruism, there's a couple of different ways of going about doing so. But when it comes to deploying authenticity, one thing that we found really effective has been rather than doing, you know, massive high production commercial shoots, which 
which we'll do when we're working with larger clientele and, and when it calls for it. What we'll actually do is, is go out and either film on iPhones or like really simple cameras with normal people, not big actors. Maybe it's an influencer, but we give off that true, like authentic vibe. And the other thing that kind of ties into that with brands. And, and so that, that note is kind of driving a creative element where it's not like a super 4k avatar looking video. It's real, it's honest, it's transparent, and it's focused more on the message than it is the shot. Um, and the, the next one kind of within authenticity is personifying brands. So this is when brands take on a voice. If you've ever like DM'd a brand on Instagram and gotten like a stupid customer service message back, nothing makes me more furious or comment. Or anything oh, those are the worst. It's when they're on social media <laughs> platforms and the, the platform's social, but they're just literally posting an advertisement and then let, waiting for you to, to respond to it, not really engaging or providing any value. So uh, personifying brands where they take on a personality and life of their own, where they are in on, on the joke. Maybe they're even the butt of the, uh, the butt of their own joke that they're promoting, uh, but they're real with people. They're honest with people. And most of all, they're, they're, they're acting like a, a human and a person would, which is, is obviously what people want. And then last but not least, when it comes to altruism, that really drives from campaign strategy. And so that could be something along the lines of recently, you know, Black Lives Matter, what Ben and Jerry's did, uh, which was quite radical for brands to do, but Definitely. they're taking a stance. And so when it comes to altruism, there's no right answer for like, hey, you need to back, you know, the green community, you need to back entrepreneurship, you need to back Black Lives Matter. You got to go with whatever fits in your brand realm. But what you must do, no matter what, is take some sort of stance, whether that's red, blue, left, right, up, down, it doesn't matter what, what, what you're identifying with, take a stance and don't be fearful because when, when you really lose with Gen Z is when you're a massive company and you don't do anything at all and you try to play it safe. Playing it safe is the worst thing you can do with this generation. You have to be real, you gotta be transparent and you gotta make a difference because they see through, they through, they see through all this bullshit. For example, Bank of America donated like a billion dollars to help uh, African-American urban communities. And that's incredible work they've done. And I'm sure we'll see the impact of that, but they've also done that in the past. And so have other banks. Where have we seen that? You know? Yeah. Where's the, where's the, exactly. Results? It's, it's, it's the classic Pixar didn't happen. That's what this generation is demanding. If you know, you're telling me you're helping out all these people, but where the fuck are these people being helped? And, where can I see that? And so this generation, if you don't show it, then it didn't really actually happen. And so that authenticity just goes away. No doubt about it. Yeah, there needs to be not only transparency, but we need to see follow throughs on these often empty gestures. I- We're not taking that anymore. We need, uh, we need follow ups and we need to see some consistency. And it's so true. And tying it back into the uh, the brands not sounding like robots yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it's so true. And one brand that comes to my mind is uh, Slim Jim. Yeah. There, I see them on like meme accounts all the time, just commenting like completely ridiculous things, but they're pretty much always the top comment. They've got several million followers. They're completely doing it right. They understand that our sense of humor, how it works, and they they found a way to resonate with the culture that really is prominent on social media. And that's why they've been able to have such tremendous success. Yeah. So it's, it's super true. And, and also very fascinating. It's refreshing to not see those stereotypical, 
here's an ad. Why is no one liking it <laughs> on these big companies, social media accounts anymore? They've really started to hone in on, all right, how can we build a voice separate from all the corporate bullshit behind yeah, the scenes? Exactly. And I, I think it's vital that brands do both because a lot of brands approach it and they start doing some unique things on social or to reach young people, but they really don't innovate their product nor brands nor services to also connect with Gen Z. And so, I mean, I, I haven't looked at sales numbers, but take Slim Jim, for example, comparative to, um, you know, maybe a brand like a Chipotle, right? Well, Slim Jim, I mean, it's awesome what they're doing on social media or, or, or let's use the Wendy's or Chipotle comparison. Cause that's a great, that's a great one. And um, so, so Wendy's really infamous for this personification. They're massive on Twitter. They've done something. TikTok. Oh, they're hilarious. On I know, exactly. <laughs> and everyone talks about it. But then when they go to launch their breakfast menu, it flops. And when they go to launch some of these unique products, it's, it's not quite a massive hit that their competitors, McDonald's, can do without having to do that. And so it's a consistent question of how do you pair this really unique style of marketing with your back-end kind of promotions, product innovations, services, so on. And, and, you know, so what's really going to work best is if the two are working together. For, for example, take Slim Jim. If I'm Slim Jim, there's an entire community, the vegan community, that likely is not going to be buyers of our products. It would make a lot of sense for us to do something viral on social media, then pair with that the launch of a vegan product, which... I'm sure they've either already done or worked on, but I haven't seen anything and, and not from a retail perspective. So that's an example of like, you can, you can be doing great things on social media and resonating well with Gen Z, but it's not always gonna convert to sales unless you connect your product and your offerings accordingly. So that's like, that's like the best step because our generation Chipotle might not be the, the most insane like Wendy's on social media, but they're real, they're honest, they do a really good job, and they actually have product offerings that, that match what we like. And I can order on their app really quickly and get it delivered to me, and it's super simple, super cheap. Whereas, you know, Wendy's, I, I can't exactly do that. So it's just a little bit different. And those are two kind of obviously ambiguous examples, but you, you obviously get the point. No, definitely. It's, it's gotta be a balance of the two. One of the core, things that I hope people take away from this podcast is that self-growth, regardless of where you're at in life and the level of success that you have is continuously imperative. So whether it be me as an individual or a brand, there needs to be consistent changes and always striving to do better. One of my favorite guests that has been on thus far is a uh, mental health consi uh, consultant, yep. and he struggled with addiction for many years. And once he sobered up, he said that the change in his mindset was that he always, every day, regardless of where he's at, he has a beginner's mindset. So in that approach, he knows that there's still things that he hasn't learned and can apply on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that we as individuals and we as corporations or small businesses need to apply that same mindset. And I think you see that with guys, even like Mark Zuckerberg's or Jeff Bezos's, they think that same way too, even though they're some of the richest men in the world, <laughs> they're still every day knowing that there's things that are going to change and that they need to continue to grow as individuals. So it, uh, it definitely ties back in and, and getting set in your ways. You can see with like a, I mean, Blockbuster yeah. is like the go-to example. Look what happened to them. They left Netflix. Netflix wanted to become blockbuster.com 
and Blockbuster laughed them out the door. They said, you guys are idiots. People love going to the video store. And then what do you know? It's like they drop off the face of the mm -hmm. earth. So just because you've been successful in the past doesn't mean that you're not going to flop if you don't change with the time. Definitely, definitely. And and Leonardo da Vinci refers to it as curiosatia, uh, which translates to a childlike sense of curiosity. And that's something that as young people, you're going to have more of naturally. You should not only continue that throughout, but maintain that curiosity when you step into a, a, a work environment, whether that's an entrepreneurship and internship or your job, maintain that throughout and always be the person to ask why. Be the annoying 12-year-old that that asks why uh, constantly to get to the bottom line answer because that will kind of pair you with the knowledge and understanding that's, that's going to get you a better scope. Once you have that scope, you can then uh, kind of kind of build out pathways and solutions between it. No doubt about it. Yeah, just continuously being curious and constantly thinking. It, it ties back into that long-term mindset. Where is the world headed? I saw an interview with Jeff Bezos recently, and he said he never has meetings talking about what's going on today. He's thinking about where's the world going to be two years from now. And he's helping to shape the culture and pivot Amazon and all the businesses beneath mm -hmm. it in based on where he thinks the world is heading in two years. And he's making decisions based on that. So I think that that's an approach that pretty much anybody could take. Definitely. Very well said. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it. Um, so one thing that I like to always ask, and I'm sure I'm the same way in the sense that I've always been kind of a grab it and get after it and trial and error kind of your way through business. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've made early on that have taught you valuable lessons as a result? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. And it's one of those things where I, I do very little reflecting. So it's hard for me to cite like some of the biggest mistakes. Um, I would say like a, a, a common mistake that, that I've definitely fallen into time, time to time is um, I would say not, not hiring what I call A players, uh, where you, you, under, you need to understand that your job as the founder of the company is to increase revenue, drive the company forward, uh, because then you allow for that vision to come to fruition and it won't without it. And a big step in that process is hiring on the right people where they can, they can then, whether they know something that you don't, uh, they can provide that, but more, most importantly, they can take things off your plate where you can then spend more time growing the actual business, right? And so one of my biggest struggles across the board has always been putting the right people in the right place consistently. Um, you know, it's not to say we've gone morbidly wrong there because we've actually been really lucky thus far, um, but there's a few times in the past where, you know, I settled and I, I should have waited out and held through and thought longer term. And then probably another struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs is, um, is, is just frankly revenue. And this isn't a struggle we've ever had. We, you know, we, we started, we bootstrapped it. We've maintained um, profitability month over month for every existence of our business, despite us like being dangerous as fuck with our finances. That's what we do. Um, because we are so dedicated to growth, but a lot of companies struggle with like getting consistent money in the door. They go raise a ton of money with investors or they take out a loan or they do these different things. And they spend so much time on the bullshit that just doesn't matter. They, they spend so much time building out SOPs and overanalyzing thinking things through or having eight meetings a day for 30 minutes that 
could have just been one meeting for 15 minutes. And for us, I mean, literally my day is like, boom, 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 every fucking meeting and quick it's 15 or seven minutes, pretty much every time it's 21 minutes, if it needs to be a little bit longer. And so that's just something we adhere to, 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 to really move fast. And we're going to move fast. We're going to juggle a lot of shit and, and some of the shit's going to fall inevitably, but I'd much rather be in a spot where we're moving really fast. We trip up a few times than in a spot where we're jogging at a really slow pace because we're still going to outrun you even if we trip. So that's the other thing. Like I know we've gotten definitely over the, the stigma of a fear of failure within business and entrepreneurship and anyone going into it shouldn't be fearing that. But I think they do fear uh, making wrong decisions along the way when and so they spend so much time in this, this middle land of like trying not to make the wrong decision that they're really never able to make the right decision because they don't know. And the reality is you're going to have to make some decisions where you just jump and you hope you jumped in the right place at the right time. And that's just the name of the game. Undoubtedly. I just, uh, I binged the whole uh, last dance documentary this weekend. <laughs> and, and one of the most profound moments for me was they were, it was the last episode and it was when they were going into game six in uh, Jordan's last final. And he was just listening to music. He was like, kind of like vibing out. And, and one of his teammates or friends said, the thing that's so incredible about Michael Jordan is that he doesn't think about, he's so in the moment that he's not thinking about things that would often get other players tripped up. So he, he described it as, why would I be scared of a shot that I haven't taken yet? Yeah. And so often people hesitate doing something because they're feared of what the results yeah. going to be. Whereas it sounds like you kind of have a similar approach to MJ where it's like, well, let's just do it and see what happens yeah. and pivot accordingly. And I think that that's the way that you have to go through life. And that if you spend too much time fearing the consequences, then you're not, you're not going to make any progress to be. Definitely. Very well said. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. So we, we've talked a little bit about some of the platforms that you said were your favorites. Where do you see marketing headed in the next five, 10 years? And, and where do you see just innovation and business headed in general? Yeah, great question. So when I think about the future of marketing and kind of where it's headed, it, it's going down some interesting lanes. For one, I've mentioned personification, which has been huge. Um, another realm that that's kind of been bubbling up and it, it's not in a spot where it, it needs to be like when we think about e-commerce and direct consumer, this has been around for so long and, and it's obviously Amazon, but just now it's starting to take hold the way we think it is. So when I think about then uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, augmented reality, virtual reality, which the latter two augmented reality, and virtual reality are probably going to have the biggest impact from a marketing perspective. I think we're a lot further away than I personally like to be. And then people that are kind of uh, tuned in with that uh, really are. So when I think about the short-term future, I think, um, I think we see brands popping up left and right within uh, different kinds of industries as challenger brands and going against the corporate landscape and finding wins throughout it. And, and we're seeing this happen everywhere, but you know, if you're a consumer, would you rather have five choices of products or 100? And the reality is retail is only going to deliver you those five. But as we get more integrated into a digital and online buying world, now we have 100 different product options to choose from, if not plenty more. And so 
when, when you look at industries like, like uh, the sparkling seltzer craze that are happening right now, or sparkling water, or protein bars, or uh, shoes for that matter, you know, a lot of these, you know, established brand winners where back in the day, maybe AB InBev and one other brand only had a sparkling seltzer, but now it's like every other fucking beverage company has a, has a sparkling seltzer. Yeah. How many White Claws? Exactly. Like there's so many, and obviously you have your winners like White Claw and then Truly and then so on, but now they're going to face fierce competition across the board and that's going to happen everywhere. So if you're an established brand like a Coca-Cola, like a PNG, uh, like a Mondelez, like you really got to be asking yourself some interesting questions because innovation is happening faster than it's ever taken place. Consumers can purchase instantly because it's no longer limited to just a retail world. world. And as marketing evolves and it's more ubiquitous and there's more channels and there's more touch points, companies we will be built off the backs of one or two platforms with great creative building up a community and then selling products directly to that community and it might be only you know 10 to 50 million dollars but at the end of the day that's still a small market share percentage of these industries and now you multiply that out by the other thousand companies doing the exact same thing in the energy drink space and now 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 you're faced with an interesting dilemma so that's what's going to happen within the marketing realm for the next uh, next few years as I project. And then about five to 10 years down the line, we can really have a conversation about AR and VR. I'll be, I'll, I'll be waiting for that one. Yeah. I'm excited to see how, how things like marketing on something like an Alexa are going to transform yeah. the, <laughs> the digital marketing world as we know it. So I'll be hanging in of with course. you. All right. So I, I know you got to hop off in a few minutes, so we'll kind of wrap things up here. I'd like to give you I'd like to just ask one final question. If you could give one clear piece of advice to anybody who's considering launching a business, what would it be? I would say, um, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to tailor this. Yeah, take your time. Um, Okay, piece of advice for someone considering starting their own business. I would say, really ask yourself, why you want to because I, I i hear it a lot and i get contact a lot but i see through a lot of facades that, that that are taking place and whether you're in it for the actual outcome the end goal whether you're in it to get the girl uh because you want to be an entrepreneur because you think you're entrepreneurial i think people don't really understand themselves before they truly consider the decisions they're making such as starting a business and if you don't understand yourself making a decision that vital is going to be a big problem so i would say take a step back and really understand who you are and who you know who do you want to be and, and what do you want for yourself beyond just a title and beyond just money and beyond just all those different things because those things will come and go and they're not also limited to entrepreneurship i know salespeople that work at shitty companies that they hate, but they make plenty more money than I do. And so I think, uh, I, I think you need to ask yourself kind of that gut check question of, of who you are and who you want to be, because before you can determine what you want to do, I think you first need to determine like who you are yourself and then map a decision accordingly, because if not, you're going to end up in a shitty position regardless where you're going to trick yourself into thinking like entrepreneurship, then it's going to be shitty. You're going to wonder why you're going to think you suck and, and all those different things when 
really you should have just started with like understanding who you are and and that'll tell you the answer like my big thing for people is if someone needs to persuade you to start a business you probably don't need to because if you really have it in you you wouldn't be asking and 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 that was the case for me like you know, I got advice, but I never definitively asked someone, Hey, should I start this business? I just did it. I saw the opportunity. I did it. Then I asked later. So that's kind of what I would say for that. I couldn't agree more. And I think just doing it and getting started can sometimes be helpful in figuring out that why. So if you're not a hundred percent set, you should have a good idea. You should know that it's not just, I want to be making six figures this year. Yeah. If that's your reason, you got a lot more digging to do. But if you're kind of teetering and figuring out why you want to do it, I think just getting after it and sending it is your best bet. So for me, it's like I kind of just started this podcast on yeah. a whim. But a few weeks back, uh, I was listening to Will Arnett's new podcast. And Dak Shepard was his first guest. And he pretty much described it as he loves podcasting because it's an opportunity for him to just be – like MJ said, just solely focused in the moment. So having these conversations, I'm not thinking about coronavirus. I'm not thinking about the craziness going on with the protests and everything. I'm just hyper-focused. So for me, I kind of found my why as I went along. And it was so inspiring for me to hear him put it into those words. So I couldn't agree. Find your why, and and often you can find it just doing it. <laughs> so it's uh it's incredible advice and, and jake it's been such a pleasure having you on i really appreciate it i'll give you a quick moment to to give your shouts and we'll we'll call it a day of course of course it's been a pleasure coming on for everyone listening you can hit, up, hit me up on linkedin uh jake Pajorseth, and instagram tiktok twitter um those are the main ones and uh we're always we're always hiring in the form of internship and full-time uh like i said we only hire a players so if you think you got what it takes, feel free to hit me up. But even if not, happy to uh, advise you in, in any of your endeavors. No doubt. Definitely worth giving a follow and, and hitting up. He's a, he's a good guy. I hit him up the other day and he got back to me real quick. So that authenticity, I, I can see that you're a man of your word there. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. yeah thank course. Really appreciate the opportunity, my friend. Yeah, appreciate having you on, Jake. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch real soon. Awesome. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode six with our guest today, Jake Bajorseth. Please join us on your favorite podcast platform. That's YouTube included for the video version of the show. So that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Don't forget to follow on Instagram and connect with Harrison on LinkedIn. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one.